0: Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh death, where is your victory? O oh death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, God who gives, gives us, us victory—the victory, the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And welcome back into the Living Victory Podcast. My name is Christian Conway. As always, joined by my two main men, Max Keen and Jonathan Kraus. And this is a part two. This week's episode is a continuation of last week's episode. Last week, you guys met uh, one of my mentors, Adam Bossom, and he started taking us through the book of Titus. Last week, we looked at chapter or Titus chapter one, and we looked into what a godly church looks like. And this week, we're going to look at chapters two and three and how we as Christians can fulfill our godly roles in the church. And then also how the church can fulfill its role within society according to God's creation and God's design. So I'm really excited to get into it with you guys, and I'm really excited to have Adam back on the podcast. Um, this, I've, I learned a lot last week, and I've learned a lot in the Titus study that we're doing uh, apart from this podcast, so I'm really excited to dive into chapters two and three with you guys. But before we get into it, uh, Adam made a very cringy joke before we got into this, and I think he needs to share it with you guys so you guys can, can appreciate the cringiness level of Adam's jokes.
1: Okay, gents, out there. Uh, please get your notepads, uh, take some notes here. Um, one thing ladies love is confidence, and they also love horrible jokes uh, because it shows that you have confidence but zero taste. Um, so if you meet a girl in the grocery and uh, the grocery place, like, hey, girl, did you come from the produce aisle? Because you are a cute cumber. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm currently batting perfect at zero for zero with that joke. So, uh, yeah, just pl- please let, let me know how it works. <laughs>
0: Yes, Adam has never told that joke to a girl and then not it. gone out with a date. No, not gone out with her on a date. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. So you've actually you've actually used this?
0: No, Jonathan, he said he's batting a perfect zero for zero.
2: Oh, okay, okay. I was going to say, I was like, man, the, the only at one time that I might have had a chance to use a pickup line on a girl, she ignored me completely. So you have gotten not as not far as I have. Does that make sense? (laughs)
1: That's a lot. of There's about a 50% chance I understood what you said.
2: (laughs) All right. I'll take it.
0: (laughs) And and with that, we're going to hop back in to to the book of Titus. And we're going to start off in Titus chapter two, looking at what our role as believers in the church is according to God's design. Sweet, guys. So uh, now that we've spent some time talking about Titus 1, uh, let's recap Titus 1
1: in about 30 seconds. Titus 1 through 4. Or Titus, what you gonna say? Chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. A chain is made from God, his character, to Paul, to Titus, to the church of Crete. So that when the church of Crete has a question, they can rest firm on God's character. Verse 5, set in order what remains. How do we do that? By appointing elders. Verse 6, what does that elder's life look like inside of his household? He's above reproach. Verses 7 and 8, what does his life look life look like inside the church? He's above reproach. Verse 9, what is his duty? He holds fast to the faithful word, um, being able to exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And then 10 through 16, what is that? That's what his refuting those who contradict looks like. So uh, if last time was a little too verbose, there you go. There's your spark notes. Um, let, let's hop into chapter two. I'm super excited to, to go through chapter two. This is what the body of believers' lives look like inside the church. Um, this is Paul speaking to Titus. But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. We were said, They said the man of God, the elder, has to be able to sanctify lives. What is that? That's take words that are fitting for sound doctrine, implant those into people's hearts, and let the Holy spirit produce growth. So that's simply a a repeating of what's already been commanded of the elder verse two, older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Guys, I'm simply going to sit on temperate, dignified, and sensible, um, specifically sensible guys. That means that the older man of Christ. So Scott's Scott Maxwell's word would be the gray beards. That would be the roughly 50 plus crowd. Um, that would be that they are sensible. That is, they are not easily swayed from one side to the other. Uh, when they have a very good day, they do not say, "Oh my goodness, like I'm just going to be overjoyed and I'm going to not critically think about anything." When they have a bad day, it's not going to be, "Oh, I am down in doom and gloom and nothing can be good and the grace of God is not upon me." But no, um, they are centered. They are on Scripture. And what scripture gives a heavy weight to, they will give a heavy weight to. What scripture gives little mention to or little weight to, they will give little mention to or little weight. And you cannot pull them off of that. Um, Guys, that's supposed to be the foundation of the church is old men who have the experience, who have the knowledge of the gospel, daily faithfully living that out. And no matter what happens, um, they get a promotion. They still love God and they apply that the same Um, They lose their job. They find out their wife goes into remission to cancer and their kid just lost their job and got in a car wreck. Even though it might look a little different, there might be some grief and some sorrow in there. Uh, That worship of God is still going to be the same. Um, And that's the foundation of a church through the older man. Verse three, older women, likewise, Are to be reverent in their behavior so that is to be adorned with the grace of the gospel not malicious gossips nor enslaved to much wine once again not enslaved to much wine or not alongside wine what we were told by the elder is supposed to be with the women Um, not malicious gossips why are they told not to be not malicious gossips and that's not repeated elsewhere well because there's going to be a link between the older women and the older men and the older women and the older sorry the older women and the younger women are going to spend more time together realistically than the other groups are and what can that lead to? That can lead to gossips, that can be to empty empty, and deceiving words. Where did we see that? That's chapter one, verse 10, for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers. Um, what do older women need to be on guard for? They need to be on guard of their hearts and especially the words that come out of their hearts, that they are glorifying to the Lord and they are shepherding and nurturing to the younger women that they are with. Um, Continuing in verse 3, They must not be malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, but teaching what is good. That is, the words that come out of their heart adequately reflect the gospel. In talking through chapter 2, verse 1, they have to be the things that are sound doctrine. Once again, that that is the gospel put in word word form implanted into the hearts of those the Lord has placed around us. Um, why do older women need to be that way? Verse four, so that they may encourage the young women. Once again, there is an inseparable link tied between older women and younger women Um, and women who are listening to this. If you are younger, who is the older woman in your life the Lord is using to grow you? Older women. Who is the younger woman the Lord has put in your life that you are discipling and nurturing? Uh, Here scripture says there is a tie that should not be broken there. Um, are we rightly breaking it, or sorry, are we wrongly breaking it, or are we rightly making that connection? Verse four: Older women much te- or verse four: Older women much must teach what is good. Why, so they may encourage the young women to do what to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible. Once again, um, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of the Lord may not be dishonored. There's a lot there. Um, I'm going to say that's a young woman's life growing into maturity of knowing who the gospel or knowing who God is and seeing that through the gospel. And through the older women and the younger women, what do we see? We see a seamless, perfect, beautiful ribbon of worship that, from every cycle of Sunday morning to the next Sunday morning, and then starting over all all over again. That is one continual blend of worship of Christ's life. That is not I worship Christ on Sunday morning. But Monday morning, when my husband gets up and he has to go to work, I'm upset. Then when I do the laundry, I'm upset. But then Tuesday night, when we go to Bible study, I kick it back up. Now, that is the woman's life is one continuous, seamless blend of worship through all. And in that, um, I don't think many Christian women would say, uh, no, I don't need to love my husband, verse four. Uh, No, I don't need to love my children, verse four. Um, Verse five, no, I don't need to be pure. No, I don't need to be kind. Uh, Verse five. Uh, I want the word of God to be dishonored. Uh, not many women would say that, um, but women would look and say uh, to be a worker at home. Um, I don't want to do that. Uh, to be subject to my own husband, uh, I might not want to do that. And once again, that's where we have to fall back on the principle that scripture is an eternal truth put down in a temporal time that applies to all of existence and all of reality. So just because times have changed, just because 2000 years has gone on, And women as society may say, I want to go in the workplace. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to compete with men and show them that I'm the equal of mankind. Um, How does God in scripture say that the woman is glorified? That would be through being a diligent worker of home in fulfilling the role that Eve was given. Um, And that's, there is nothing, there is nothing to even argue. There is nothing to even say that is lesser Um, if that's the role that God has given, then hallelujah, like fully do that to to, to the utmost.
0: Um, As we've talked about older men, older women, younger women, do you guys have any comments or questions? I did have one thing that I I wanted to ask. Uh, We saw earlier in chapter one, actually, in last week's episode, it gave the requirements for an elder or the qualifications for an elder. And here it gives the standards that older men are to be held for. Uh, A few of the things that I see that are differences between what every old man or every every aged man within the church should be held to versus what the elder should be held to uh, is mostly in verse nine, where it says that he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also be able to rebuke those who contradict it. So I see here that, that from my understanding, the difference between the standard that an old man should be held to versus the standard that an elder should be held to is really the ability to teach and the ability to, not only the ability to, but also the responsibility to teach and to rebuke uh, rebuke those who contradict within the church. Are there any other differences that you see here between the standard that an old man is held to versus the standard that elders specifically are held to? Yeah, good
1: question. We did discuss that last week. And guys, I have to be honest, um, last week, it feels like it was only a couple minutes ago. But uh, man, I mean, I just can't believe an entire week has passed uh, since that. But, you know, the magic of editing or something. Um, yeah, and so I I, I think that that's a really good point that when it comes to the standards of an elder or the standards of an older men, guys, all are responsible for that, but some are more accountable. Uh, I have one sister or I have one sibling that is a sister, Jessica, who has special needs, who's a year and a half older than me. Her and I are both responsible for the same thing to, to our parents. Um, but my parents hold me accountable in a different way than they are going to hold her accountable. Um, if she has realistically the mental capacity of or a four or, or a five-year-old, it would not make sense to hold a four or a five-year-old accountable the same way you would hold a 26-year-old. Um, in that way, every man, every believer in the church is held accountable to, are they older men, older women, younger women, younger men? Um, can they do what an elder is supposed to do? Every believer is supposed to do to that, but an elder is simply more held more accountable to that as if there is a much shorter leash of what is allowed before, Hey, nope, we're going to rein that back in. Um, does that answer your question?
0: Yes. Yes, it does.
1: Thank you. Um, wow. I can't believe, I think I might've just given an answer in under six minutes there. So guys I'm going to assume a lot of younger men are probably who are listening to this and I would even classify us uh, in the early to mid twenties as even still in the young men. Um, guys, Everybody who's come before is given multiple instructions. Young men here in chapter two, verse six is given one thing. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Um, guys, sen- sensible might be my favorite word in the entire Bible. Um, sensible. Why would young men have to tend to tell it be that? Um, because young men are just starting to get a little bit of knowledge, have very little experience, but have a whole lot of energy. Um, And that's a great thing. The Lord uses that. Um, But there's also a lot of danger to that. What is that? Um, A man might hear, a young man might hear something like election and say, wow, that's a very important doctrine. And he might take that part. If we're looking at a baseball field, we might look at a doctrine that's maybe somewhere in left field. Is it wrong? No, it needs to be talked about, but it's probably a left field doctrine and he takes that left field position and he makes his pitcher's mound in left field. And he says, everyone else around me who does not look at this and see this as the correct pitcher's mound, you guys are wrong and I am right. Um, that's what a young man who's not sensible has a tendency to do. Um, so what does that young man need to need to be told? He needs to be told by an older man, by an older woman, by an elder, and um, even as younger women come alongside him that... Hey, uh, this knowledge is great. Hey, this emotion can be used well for the Lord. Uh, hey, this lack of experience isn't wrong. The Lord simply hasn't brought you to that time of life, but be sensible. Um, don't let your emotions run side to side. Don't run for the hills at, at the easiest moment. Um, be temperate, be sensible, be dignified. Um, give emotion where where scripture gives emotion and hold hold, ta- hold fast, hold tight to yourself, where Scripture holds fast and holds tight, um, guys. I don't know about you, but in my life, that summarizes every single thing I think I've had been told in the in the last eight years. Hey, um, sit down, read your Bible more, uh, be quiet, learn, and then when the time comes, the Lord will give you the words to speak. Um, do you guys have any comments or questions on that, guys? Like, we could spend a good hour talking about that and just the implications of that. But I want to keep us moving, but I want to give you guys time to give some thoughts.
0: I do. I do like that. And I think that it also gives a little bit clarification. So Adam, I believe is using the new American standard Bible and I, in my hands have the the English standard version, the ESV. And in this translation, it uses the term self-controlled. So I think that also helps us, helps give us a, a more clear picture of what this word really entails, what this word in the Greek entails for a younger man to be doing in his own life because I'm sure everybody, everybody listening to this podcast can attest to a time that they have known a younger man in their life who has not exercised self-control. And when there is a young man exor- or failing to exercise self-control, it is clear that the actions that he's taking are not representing uh, the people whom he's supposed to represent very well, whether that's his family or his friends or the church that he comes from. And if we as young men are called to be representatives of Christ, representatives of the kingdom, we are literally, we have our citizenship in heaven is what the book of Philippians tells us. Then if we go out and we start acting in ways that are not sensible, that, that show a failure to control our own selves, then how does that reflect on the God whom we're supposed to be representing? I think that that is, it's a very, like Adam said, it's a very succinct thing that this passage gives one single instruction to young men. But that single instruction is one of the most important instructions that we as young men can hear. Because that, if we are self-controlled and sensible, that will help us grow into the older men and hopefully eventually the elders that this book talks about and it'll it'll grow us into the man that God wants us to become and to fulfill that purpose that God has for us one day in our lives. Yeah, that that that's true. I think of
1: think of the one commandment to love the Lord your God with all your might, soul and strength. That's one commandment. Um, Think of how much that entails. That is with every single ounce of my being and every single thing that I am or I will ever do, I am supposed to love God perfectly. And if I'm supposed to love God, that love is centered on truth. That's who he is. Therefore, what he loves, I will love. What he detests, I will detest. Guys, that's a lifetime summed up in one command. Um, And I think in a smaller way, sensible is like that. That is a small, succinct command that encompasses every aspect of my life. Um, do you guys have anything else on that or do you guys want to keep pushing?
0: I just had a quick question. So, um, how would you recommend going about like training yourself to be, um, sensible in this way? I mean, even for people like me, Christian and Jonathan, we're doing this podcast. We're trying to teach people scripture and how to apply it. Like, how do we not take it out of hand?
1: Let's push that right back to Titus. Um, Take notes, put this on a sticky note, uh, tattoo tattoo this on your arm, whatever you need to, get it down. Get an older man, get him in your life, let him know every facet of your life and be honest with him and say, sir, friend, um, however you need to address him, I need you in my life. I watch you walk through life. I watch you apply scripture. That is what I I want to be. I need you to guide me. I need you to bring scripture to light in my life. Um, do that. Like that, that's the way that's, a, I would say there's nothing else that I could pull out of Titus two. Um, we'll say versus one through six to, to go through that, um, outside of that, or what, what does that foundation have to rest upon though? Um, once again, if we're going to have someone look into my life, what I have built in my life, um, I have to make sure something is built before someone can inspect it. That would be Titus two, 11 through 14 or through 15. Um, you need to know who God is. Guys, you need to be reading your Bible. You need to journal. You need to meditate. You need to be listening to sermons. You need to be talking. You need to be evangelizing. you need to be doing all these things and simply put yourself out there and let the Lord grow you in these circumstances. Um, Currently right now we're sitting in Christian's room. Uh, There's nothing wrong with us sitting secluded away to do this one moment. But if then for the next six years we say we do not want to leave this room, um, the growth or the opportunity and the the opportunities I have to interact with other people are going to be extremely limited. Um, You need to get out there and go and know that you don't have to be, have a a PhD. You don't have to be the elder that teaches on Sunday morning to be the one that's out there and being used by the Lord. Go grow, love, serve, be diligent. And when you fail, be honest and confess sin and look towards the Lord and say, Lord, like, please grow me. I I want to be your servant. Um, That's how you do that. So you know, and then by putting that into action, you grow. That's once again that's a longer answer than it needed to be.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to add a uh, just a little quick note onto um, what Max and Adam talked about. Those are really really great things. But something that I wanted to highlight, um, and this might be for just me personally, but you know if there's anybody else there out there and our listeners like me, um, that point of you know being quiet, uh, and kind of sitting yourself down and being sensible, um, is something that I personally struggle with. Um, and it's just this idea of, um, we all know the verse, you know, be still and know that I am God. Right. But that is honestly, it's such a hard verse to really put into practice. And I kid you not when, um, so I, I, I don't think I've ever brought this up on the podcast before. Um, but something that I did, uh, recently was, uh, before I went to, to bed, um, I would, uh, set a timer for a set amount of time and just spend that time in in thoughtful more like thoughtful being but sort of adjacent with prayer. Um, and I'm kind of weird about bringing stuff up like this because I'm I'm usually under the impression that or I have the thinking along the lines of that's kind of like a private thing and it's it's between me and my relationship with God. but I do think that then maybe our listeners can can glean something from this um, or maybe get some insight from it. Um, that was a hard thing to do. Literally, to set a timer for—I think I started off with ten minutes—to set a timer for ten minutes and do nothing for ten minutes except be in my thoughts and spend time in prayer. Um, and then, the, like the first couple of days, man, I was like looking at the timer every thirty seconds. I was like, man, when the heck is this going to be over? But I—I I kid you not. After doing that for a little while, I started to get to the point where I was like, man, ten minutes isn't enough. I can't fit. All the things i'm thinking i can't fit, fit all the people i want to pray for in 10 minutes and so at a certain point i just stopped using the timer i was like you know i can't even get this done in 10 minutes so let me just you know spend time in in thoughtful being and and prayer based off what i feel led to do so i from that point i started going and maybe i'd have a 15 20 minute session and maybe i'd have a seven minute session if if i wanted to go to bed and, and so i kind of took away the timer from that but this is just an encouragement to, to any listeners out there that might struggle like I do with really sitting oneself down and, and spending time and thought and reflection like that. Um, set a timer and really, you know, force yourself to do it. And it might be really hard in the beginning, but I really think it's a, it's a really beneficial thing um, in, in the long run to, to, to spend that time in quiet stillness so that you can uh, be in communion with God in that way. And I think that's a huge part of, of being sensible, like Adam mentioned. Um, is that that all right like let's take a step back let's analyze our emotions in this situation and let's refer them to scripture to see if if our reaction and our actions that we take are going to be uh, placed in the right area so i just wanted to throw that in there um as a as a little add-on to to what you guys were talking about but but let's uh let's continue in the text
1: yeah so i'm gonna i'm gonna throw one last comment at that guys we we have a detriment in society we have a plague that is going on and that is we are raising generation and generation um, of young men that does not think biblically, does not think critically of themselves, and then cannot express those critical thoughts in an articulate manner. Um, guys, that is a detriment. That is a plague. That is a kneecapping or that is putting a glass ceiling on what society or what the family unit can do. And yeah, for, for anyone listening to this, that as a young man, like, your job, whether you are a student, whether you're in the military, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a pastry chef, whether you're a mechanic or anything in between, your job is not really to do that job. Your job is to glorify the Lord. And how, is the, how, is, how are you going to do that? Or how are you going to glorify the Lord? By using your life, using your experiences, using the word of the Lord, and being able to articulate that to other people, In chapter two, verse one here, speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Um, You have to be able to know where you are, what's going on, and you have to be able to articulate that to other people. And if we're not doing that on a regular basis with ourselves, if we're not practicing those disciplines, how in the world do I expect to do it when I come to game day? So, yeah, Jonathan, I I completely, completely agree with that. Um, Anything else on that? Are you guys okay if we go to verse, uh, keep going in verse six? Okay, guys, back to the book of Titus. Um, chapter two, verse six. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. What does that mean? That is in all things, show yourself to be a good, ex- be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Guys, I'm going to just simply sit on that last part, uh, last part of verse eight. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Guys, that's, when we're told about the elder, what is that? He is above reproach. What is the young man shooting for? The young man, even if he's never, never going to step a day into the pulpit or he's never going to be an elder for a minute of his life, he's still shooting to be above reproach. And the way the young man lives his life, he should be starting a trend that by his sensible living, which that is poured out by a purity in doctrine, he is dignified and he is sound of, he is sound in speech. That is going to be setting the timeline. That is the laying the laying the course in fine aggregate that the concrete or the five lane highway of a of a life above reproach is going to be laid on in later years. Um, that, that that's that's what a young man needs to be do be doing. Like we said, read, know how to articulate, know what's going on in your heart, and lay lay the groundwork for the upcoming decades for the Lord to use you. Any thoughts on that? Sweet. So let's go into verse nine. Um, guys, it's kind of a background on verse nine. Paul is speaking into a time here where slaves and bond slaves were a common thing. Uh, today, when we speak in 2021, uh, even in America, the slave has a very bad connotation. We think of African-Americans, the South plantation. Um, none of that is positive and that should not be positive. Um, we cannot take 2021 history and American history and impose it into this text. When Paul is writing here, that is not a, hey, we are going to take people based on skin color and subjugate them because we think they are less. This is a, in this time, this is people who sometimes even willingly sold themselves into a socioeconomic status for the possibility of moving upwards in society. Yes, there were times where people went and were conquered or people were put into slavery. So I'm not saying it's good, but it is a much different It is a much different position than we are in today. And we need to be very careful of taking our thoughts of a word and imposing them here on scripture. So what does Paul tell Titus to teach the church at Crete? Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything and not to be self-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in every respect. Gentlemen, anyone who's listening, God does not speak into society and say, guess what? Your job is to overturn society. Your turn, if you was oppressed, is to overthrow the oppressor. And your job, if you are the ruler, is not to keep ruling or make sure you get your dime out. God speaks into a society and says, "I am glorified where you are at right now." Uh, the bond slave does not have to wait till he is a free man to glorify the Lord. The young woman and the old and the young man do not have to wait till they are old women and un, old old women and old men to glorify the Lord where you are right now, that is where you glorify. And guess what? Like in a society where people, especially those who are oppressed, are continually trying to overthrow and get whatever they can out of society and their master, what type of slave is going to bring glory to the Lord is going to stand out the most? That is a slave who is willingly subject to his master is, is well-pleasing, is not argumentative, is not pilfering, but shows good faith and adorns the doctrines of grace and of God in everything. Um, and gentlemen, even though we might not be slaves today, I would say if you're a student, right there, there are your marching orders for when you go to school. Um, if you're in a relationship, your job, your goal in the relationship should not be get whatever you can. It should be to be a Titus nine person. Um, if you're working... In any in any career field, those are your marching orders right there, um, guys. There you go. We've just talked about older women, older men, younger men, younger women, and slaves. We've talked about every facet of society right there. Uh, do you guys have any questions or comments before we move on?
2: No, I just I just wanted to throw a caveat on on um, not a caveat. That's a bad word. Um, and I, I did just want to. <laughs> I do just want to i feel like i always say i just want to add on something i want to be more descriptive in my words but um at the end of the day no i i did want to to, to add look a little note on on to what you were saying about on you know the definition of slaves because this is a obviously in our today's society this is a really really big thing and you touched on this it's a very delicate thing in our society um and it's very easy to offend people um but The definition of slave here, while in Paul's day, it definitely takes on a different context. Um, I, you know, I think we can kind of relate this to other slave like entities. Um, And that's, I mean, Paul in the very first verse kind of refers to himself as a slave of Christ, right? I mean, there's different forms of slave that we, that we don't think of at first when, when we read this, right? We think slave and we automatically think, um, you know, somebody that is treated poorly in bondage, you know, forced to do things against their will. And while that is the case, that, that is, you know, the definition of a slave, I think there are other forms of, of you know, being a servant, being a bondservant, um, you know, that I think of when I read this, um, just like, again, like I mentioned that that we are slaves to Christ, right? We are bondservants of Christ and being bondservants of Christ. This is how we should act, right? This is this is how we should conduct ourselves. Um, but I would even go further and say that there are other situations in our lives that that we're not slaves in our today's society. But as a somewhat servant like nature, I mean, when you think about when you have a boss, right, are you are you putting these um, these attributes of someone who is supposed to be acting as a slave? Are you putting him into practice with with your boss or with the people that are leading you in your life? If you're a kid and you're still living under your um, your not a kid, but like a young person living under their parents um, house. Technically, you are a servant bond servant to your parents, right? I mean, I know it's a little bit more loose of a context. But still, we should always be uh, applying these attributes that Scripture is telling us in the situations that we are are underneath someone, or someone is the the leader over us. It doesn't necessarily have to be a slave situation. Um, you know, nothing that severe, especially these days. And praise God for that, by the way. But uh, it's you know, we definitely can can still you know gain a lot of insight based off and uh, you know, like Adam said. God's Scripture is eternal, right? And we can really grab stuff from this to apply to us.
1: Amen to that. Anything else? You guys want to keep pushing? Let's push, guys. In these, in this chapter and a half, we have uh, we we've said some harsh things or we've said some hard things of Hey, a church needs to look this way. Uh, hey, when bad men come in, we treat them this way. Hey, older men. Older women, younger men, younger women, slaves. Your lives should be look. Your lives should look like this. Um, that's harsh. That that's a lot of things. That that's putting up a lot of rules and guidelines in life. Um, guys, how can Paul? How can Titus? How can God tell us to do these things? Great question, guys. We're about to answer that. Um, chapter two, verse eleven. This is the first moment of theology proper that we have coming into Titus. Normally, Paul's way of writing was he gives theology then he gives application he has given us application and now he's going to give us theology chapter 2 verse 11 why can i be told to live this way for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all men once again is that saying that every single man is going to be saved no that can't be because there were men in the church that were rebellious and factious and non-believers and were be told being told to push being pushed out of the church What does that mean? Uh, That means salvation or grace is not sectarian. Sectarian, S-E-C-T-A-R-I-A-N, sectarian. That would be that the gospel only goes to the Jews. In the Old Testament, the gospel did only go to the Jew. Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God that leads to salvation first to the Jew and then to the Greek. So there was a time when salvation only went to the Jew. But now salvation has gone out to all people. And if I'm speaking to someone who thinks salvation has only gone to what one type of person, what am I going to tell that person? No, salvation has gone out to all men. So chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. What is it? And it's instructing us. What is it instructing us to do? To deny ungodliness and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So I'm specifically looking at Christ appearing and he's telling me what not to do and what to do. Okay, so I'm told what to do in the moment right now, but what do I look forward to? I look towards the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm governed in everything I do by the fact that Christ is going to come back again and he is going to rule and reign supreme and that and that alone is what sets the lens for my life. Um, that dictates how I live my life. Eternity future is being fought and won today for the Lord's glory. And that, that's what we strive for. Verse 14, we're going to speak a little bit more on Christ. Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous, or the word is red hot, for every good deed or good work. So we have verse 14, who gave himself up for us to redeem us. That's Christ's work on the cross. So in these couple verses, we have Christ has died on the cross. Christ is coming back again, and you need to be walking in the proper manner in light of that. Therefore, do this and look towards the future. And guys, we've talked a lot about, you need to know, you need to know, you need to know. But what should that knowledge produce? End of verse 14. To purify himself for himself, a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. That is, it's not I want to sit in my ivory tower as a monk. I want to pour out and I want to serve others around me. Guys, that's that's our heart of Titus. What has Christ done? What is he commanding me to do? What am I looking forward to in the future? Finn, chapter two.
0: Yeah, and as before we go on to chapter three. I really want to hone in on, on what we just went over in really chapter or verses 11 through 14, but most specifically in verses 13 and 14, and that is our savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and it says, he has given himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness. And as you guys know, that is what we center on. That is what we hone in on. That is the, the why behind everything we do as believers. And as you guys know, the gospel is the center of this podcast. We wouldn't be here doing what we're doing. We wouldn't be able to convince you or convey you. We wouldn't be able to convey these truths to you unless we had the gospel. And we want to make sure that you guys are able to understand the gospel and that we present the gospel to you as many times and in as many ways as we possibly can. And here we see it plain and clear that we are stuck in our sin and we have, have problems of sin that separate us from God. But here it says, verses 13 going into 14, it says, we wait for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and our savior, Jesus Christ, going into verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So God takes us from this Romans chapter one, Romans chapter three, heart attitude of, of rejecting God and rejecting everything that's good, rejecting the things that, Of God and instead he he gives himself for us that way we can be redeemed we can be taken from this state of lawlessness into a state of holiness and how does that work you may you may ask how do we have this sin and then it's all of a sudden gone well Jesus Christ when he died on the cross he paid that price for our sins the price that we deserve the price that we owe to God the eternal punishment that we deserve to bear for ourselves Jesus Christ took that on his shoulders when he died on the cross and for those who come to salvation in him, for those who, who come to faith and repentance in his name, we are redeemed from our lawlessness, and then we are purified by him. It's not just not just a passive action. It's an active action where God takes us, he redeems us, he cleanses us of the dirtiness of the sin, and he purifies us so that we may be ready for these good works, and not only ready, but zealous for these good works. And that that is the heart of God of Christianity. That is the heart of the Bible. That is the message that the entire Bible is centered around is the gospel and what Jesus Christ did for us. And if you, if you want to learn more about that, you can read the book of John. You could also reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about it. If you want to email us, we have, you can reach out to any of the individual hosts at Christian, Jonathan, or Max at livingvictorypodcast.com. Or if you want to hit all three of us with one email, you can email our general email at questions at livingvictorypodcast.com we'd love to talk about talk about the gospel with you. We'd love to walk you through this because this is really this is the center of it all. And as we were going through Titus just to see how how Paul even in the midst of instructing how we should live within the church, he puts this in there so clearly and so beautifully. It's an amazing thing to see how how the gospel is really just interwoven into every aspect of everything that we do as Christians.
1: Yeah, guys, great great, great point on that Christian. And As we've seen, what does a church look like? What do the elders look like? What do our individual lives look like? Well, what's the basis of that? It's Christ on the cross, crucified and him resurrected, and then him coming back one day and reigning as king for all of eternity. That's the foundation for all of this. Once again, I need to know that. I need to be able to articulate that. And then this book is how I apply that. Guys, um, not to brag, I think I might be able to get us through chapter three in like 15 minutes, if you guys want to push for it. Um, For those listening at home right now, the men on uh, video are deeply impressed by my ability to do that. So uh, we're going to go for that. Chapter three. So now we're going to say, what do these Christians' lives look like uh, in society? Remind them. What is that? Who are the them? That is those from the church to be subject to rulers um, so once again, Oh, uh, I'm not a bondslave. slave. Uh, no, every single believer is called to be subject to his ruler. Um, wherever you are in life right now, you have someone ruling over you. You are directly commanded to be subject to, to that, to that ruler, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration to all men, um, Guys, the end of that wraps that up to show every consideration to all men. My life is not to be for myself. It is for God's glory. And as a humble, meek, and quiet servant, I am supposed to serve whoever he puts in my life. When I am called to speak up, when I have to be bold, when I have to be brash, when I have to lead by saying, taking the proverbial bull by the horns, I will do that. But my desire is to be quiet and to be sensible and to lead a calm and peaceful life and to lead how, to lead how God is leading me. Um, guys, that, that's how our life should look like. Um, and I think of just in this past year, just, I, I think of so many political movements of whether you are right aisle, left aisle, whether you believe black lives matter is the best thing to ever happen, whether you believe that's the worst thing to happen, um, and a million other things that have happened. Um, guys, that's a hard thing to do. And think, think, about telling a believer who feels strongly about those issues one way or another this is how you have to live and that person might look and say how can you tell me to do that to those people pointing at those as the other side of the aisle those who believe a certain thing those who are a non-believer um guys another great question chapter 3 verse 3 is going to explain that to us because as the believer living in society looks at society what should they be thinking chapter 3 verse 3 for we also once were foolish ourselves disobedient deceived enslaved to various lusts and pleasures spending our life in malice and envy and hateful hating one another guys the believer has to rightfully recognize that's where the world is and that's the world he's called to go serve in when jesus told the the apostles to go to judea and to the ends of the earth those were not places where the gospel was ruling and reigning those were dark places where sin, sin and the prince of this air was ruling and reigning. Yet that's where they were called to go. But yet we recognize that and we recognize those are that's how the people are living. Verse 4, but when the kindness of God, our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, Christ saved us, not on the basis of my deeds. Once again, if that, well, that's a very different discussion that we're going through in men's group right now that we can talk about. Why was I saved? Was I saved because I was good? No, it was nothing I could do. The society I'm called to go into, that's the type of heart. That's the type of person I was. But I am called out of that. Verse 5, He saved us not on the basis of our deeds, that we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, it was his choice and he did a supernatural work in my heart and he washed and he regenerated me. That is literally, he created a new being inside of me through the Holy Spirit. Verse six, he has poured out richly the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the eternal hope of eternal life. So that wicked and depraved society, that's where I was. And I was no different. And Christ chooses me, not because of anything good that I will do, but based upon his mercy and his goodness. He gives me the Holy Spirit. And I am now not only a glory robbing sinner, that I am now turned into a glory giving saint. And not only a glory giving saint, I am now made an heir of Christ. So that when Christ reigns, I will reign with him and underneath him. That's the gospel, guys. And man, verses three is going to paint a pretty glim, a groom, gloom, gloomy picture of where the world is and I don't want to go into that. But where's my heart set on? Um, chapter two, verse 12, of when Christ comes back. Uh, chapter three, verse seven, I'm going to be an heir of Christ. I already am an heir of Christ, but I will one day fully recognize that. Um, verse eight. This is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. Young men, Like you have to know enough to be confident. Uh, if you have no knowledge and speak confidently, you're an idiot. If you have full knowledge, but you have no confidence, I, I, I don't have a word for that off the top of my head, but you, you, we can't be used very much. You have to know and you have to be able to speak confidently. Verse 8. This is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I, I want you to speak confidently so that so that those who have believed God will be in careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. Once again, guys, this knowledge should be shown in good deeds. It's going to be made clearly known through our lives, through our hands, and through our words. Verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and stripes and disputes about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. What did many of the circumcision, going back to chapter 1, verse 10, what did they want to do? They wanted to sit down and they wanted to say, let's look at this genealogy. I want to look at who this father is. And I want to insert fake men and tell fake stories and myths. And I want to tell stories about them in a way that is not profitable for life, but puts the focus on me. Uh, What are we told? Disregard that. What do I stick to? I stick to scripture and scripture alone. We come to verse. Uh, what is this? This is 10. Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning, being self condemned. Once again, that's not Max saying, Hey, I have a question about this. Can we talk? And Max maybe has a wrong point. That's a man coming into the church and saying, I know this. I want to teach. I will not be silenced. And what he knows and what he teaches is false. That's the man that we have to be very, very, very careful of. We have to be able to discern, is this someone that needs to be discipled? Is this someone that needs to be lovingly quieted? Or is this a man that needs to be say, after a first and second warning, you are out of this church and you are not welcomed by. Do not let the door hit you on, on, on the rear end on your way out. Um, once again, that's the man of God. He has to be able to discern all of that and be able to apply, that, apply it wisely. Verse 12, I'm going to wrap up here real quick. So it's just final messages. When I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, make every uh, make every effort to come to me in Nicopolis for I decide to spend the winter there, diligently help Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way so that they so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet the pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Guys, Paul is saying all this knowledge, everything that we've talked about here in the book of Titus, how does that pour out? That pours out in good deeds. That is is taking the word of God, planning it in people's hearts and then acting upon it and suffering long in that. Of not doing that on Sunday mornings and saying I'm done, but doing that continually through the good season, through the bad season, uh, in all aspects serving the Lord. Verse 15, all who are with me greet you. Uh, Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Guys, that's, the book of titus in an hour and 50 minutes uh any other comments questions i know i've done a vast majority of the speaking but I'd, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts or any any comments yeah i just had
0: a question so i mean you've taught on this before and you've gone through it many times and um as you've gone through this are there still parts where you read and you're like i'm not exactly sure what this means or do you think it's pretty clear cut, like that clear cut like All right this means this and this means this and this means this Um, because i know certain passages and certain writers are more um, direct than others
1: yeah so i'll I'll answer that by kind of bringing an analogy that myself and jonathan can understand like as an engineer uh, the first time you see a derivative you see an integral you think i have absolutely no idea what this means and i'm never going to understand it and then by the time you get to calc 3 you're doing a triple integral Um, you're doing a triple integral and you're like, I think I might have an idea what this means. And hopefully by the end of Calc three, you're saying, I know what this means. Um, has the material gotten any easier? No, you've just been diligent and you've spent more time being with it. And the same time with Titus, like I believe Titus is pretty clear cut. Um, that's because I've had a lot of men that have just sat down and talked with me time and time and time and time and time again. And once again, just because scripture is difficult, that does not mean scripture is unclear. That just means I am not yet at the level of knowledge that I need to be. And once that's not wrong to recognize that I I need to grow, or this is not this is not clear. And I would tell you guys, I am not qualified to stand up and teach the Book of Titus on a Sunday morning before a church. I would say my knowledge, my life, my ability to teach is not there. Um, that's just saying the call for an elder is that high. Um, and I would just encourage you guys that um, in the past eight years, a good chunk of my study has gone into four pages of my Bible. Um, I see that, that that's applied and that's helped me in so many other ways, but spend time studying stuff, um, read your entire Bible, but be
0: really, really,
1: really familiar with one piece at a time and then grow your repertoire, like grow, grow your arsenal.
0: And I think one of the things that, that goes into that, is actually something that I heard John MacArthur say in another Bible study that I did with Adam. And that was that when you when you go to school and you're studying something for school, you don't read it once and then put it down and walk away and maybe read it again in a few months and then read it again a few months after that. But what you do is you read the the chapter or the material that you're looking at, and then you read it again and you read it again and you read it again and again and again. And that's how you get it to stick in your mind. That's how you get get those... The, that information that you're trying to learn to stick. That way you can use it and practically apply it on the tests and, and whatever examinations you may be having in school. In the same way when we study scripture, we shouldn't just read a chapter, put it down and call it a day. And then maybe if we're reading Philippians chapter one, go back to Philippians chapter one in a few months and read mm-hmm. it again. Instead, you you say, hey Philippians chapter one, what does this mean? How can I apply this to my life? And you go back to it and back to it and back to it. And that's how God's word is meant to be studied. But sadly we don't study it in the way that it's meant to be studied. We study it in a way that, that helps it to, to not be stuck in our brains, in a way that helps us to not be able to apply it to our lives. So that's something that I would really encourage you guys to do, is to, to treat God's word uh, in a way that it's very valuable, because it is valuable. Treat it as though it's a valuable thing that you can use to apply it to your life. And as as Adam was saying and pointing out that Paul says here, to let, it helps you learn to devote yourself to good works. And that's ultimately the purpose of, of looking into God's God's word so we can live a life that, that glorifies him and that reflects the, the things that he calls us to do, ultimately bringing more glory to Christ and more glory to the gospel that has saved us uh, from our, our terrible uh, sin penalty in this life.
1: I'm going to take a quick quick second here. If anything that we've talked about today interests you, uh, I'm not the first one to say it. And I, this is not even original content. I would really, really, really encourage you guys uh, to go to the website GBCAZ.org. Uh, we're going to use the phonetic alphabet here. That is Golf Bravo Charlie Alpha Zulu.org. Um, that's the church that uh, I went to when they originally taught this. And you can find the Titus series. I believe they're wrapping up Romans right now. Um, and anything that you can find on their website of teaching, uh, I would highly, 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 highly encourage. In that same way of being selective in what I read, I would encourage you guys to be very, very selective in what you listen to. Um, I would much rather find one good pastor or two good pastors and listen to them for two years straight and know exactly how they teach and learn from their teaching style. I would rather do that than listen to a thousand pastors once over three years. Um, and I would encourage you guys like find a good church, find good teaching and grow in it. And I think GBC dot or GBCAZ.org would be a great place to start, but, uh, I'm slightly biased.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So shout out to Scott Maxwell pastor or one of the elders at grace Bible church and shout out to the Bible church itself in Phoenix, Arizona. That's, that's what helped equip Adam to, to know this much about the book of Titus and to be passionate enough to go over this book repetitively and not only do that, but to lead other men like myself through this book in personal studies and weekly studies. So I I know that I've been really blessed by Adam uh, in my own life, even though we've only known each other for a short period of time. I hope that his words have also blessed you guys and that the Lord has been able to speak through him on this podcast to help you guys learn a little bit more about the book of Titus. And not only that, but what a godly church should look like, what our role as Christians in a godly church is, and then what a church's role within society looks like according to God's design. So once again, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast last week and this week. It's it's really been a blessing talking to you this this time, Adam. Sounds good, guys. Thank you so much for having me on, uh, guys. It's been an absolute blast, and Jonathan, I've enjoyed uh, looking at your
1: face this entire time. Yeah. So,
2: just, just to give context into that joke for everybody at home, I am home for spring break when we're recording this, and I don't have a camera on my computer. So, so this isn't me being that that guy in the Zoom call that doesn't turn on his camera, right? This is this is a totally circumstantial based joke, and I don't deserve the butt of it. That's what all that's all. <laughs> so the whole
0: time, the whole time, Jonathan has just been sending selfies to Adam over here. <laughs> <laughs> no, guys, it, it it
1: really has been a blessing to be on, and uh, thank you, guys, and uh,
0: thank you. Yeah, it, it has been a blessing having you. And for the listeners out there, we want to thank you guys for listening. If you guys want to support the show and support the gospel message that we're bringing forth and the, the ways that God is using us to share the gospel with people around the world, uh, there's a few ways you can do that. The first way you can do that is to share the show with somebody in your life. If, if this episode or an episode that you've listened to in the past really struck you and you'd like to share that with somebody, if you do share that, that would, that would go a long way in helping us grow the show and get more eyes and ears on the gospel. And another way that you can support us is by leaving a rating or review. On the podcast, whatever podcast service you listen to, because that helps us grow up the charts and that helps us uh, get more people just hearing the gospel and hearing the gospel according to the topics and, and the scripture that we're looking in every single week. And final way that you can donate to us or that you can support us, I, I gave it away there, is to visit slash donate. When you do this, it'll take you to a PayPal link where you can donate money to us. And if you choose to do this, our promise to you, is that 100% of the money that you donate will go back into the show. We'll go back into advertising and making sure that this gospel message gets as far as we can possibly make it get. But as, as you guys know, we never want this to be about us. We don't want to take any of the glory, any of the credit. We want to make sure that it all goes to God because God is using us. God is working through us in this podcast. And we want to make sure that everything we do is in submission to him and in submission to his will for us. So we thank you guys for listening. And, and like I'm, like I said earlier in the podcast – if you guys want to reach out to us with any questions, concerns, comments, doubts, anything that you have, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to one of the individual hosts at Christian, Jonathan, or Max at livingvictorypodcast.com. You can also reach all three of us by emailing to the general email, which is questions at livingvictorypodcast.com. And we'd love to interact with you guys. We want to build this as a community of believers who come hand-in-hand, step-in-step looking at the scripture together and making sure that we glorify God in an accurate and faithful way in everything that we do. Um, But as always, we want to thank you guys for listening to the show. It's, It's a blessing having you guys every week. And we want to thank you so much for listening week in and week out to the shows that we release. As always, love each other and shine your light.